Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, it's Dale Luganville with the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Thanks for finding us and listening. We really appreciate it. Continue the great work, guys. Just keep sharing it, keep liking uh, I'd still like to see a few more reviews. That'd be awesome. By the way, I do have a, a new email address. If anybody is in the email emailing world, if that's your preferred method of communique, um, you can now uh, send me hate mail or whatever you want at uh, Dale Luganville at FullScaleOutdoors.com. So there you are. Uh, it's a new way to do it. Also, obviously, my Facebook page uh, full scale outdoors there's a full scale outdoors group if you're not aware please join that if you have your own um outdoor company or uh, anything or you just you're just somebody that likes to hunt and fish and take pictures maybe make your own videos maybe you're a youtube person trying to get rolling or established whatever it doesn't matter uh that's your platform feel free to use it post whatever you want as long as it's outdoor related I'm going to let it fly. Pretty loosey-goosey on the old admin rules there in the Full Scale Outdoors uh, group page. Uh, what have I forgot? Oh, yeah, Snapchat. You can uh, find me on Snapchat, Dale Luganville. Uh, follow along on my adventures there. Instagram is Full Scale underscore Outdoors. And, uh, yeah, so there you are. All right, here we go. S- today's guest is the second in a trilogy of female anglers outdoors women people um it was great um been up the st paul ice fishing show somebody i can't remember who it was but somebody is like you have to get a hold of of this person she has a very interesting story i'm like oh all right so i checked her out online and yeah it's an insanely interesting story she has an amazing story to tell you guys are really going to love it i don't want to even give any hints i don't want to wreck it um you're going to want to listen to it just what a just a great individual and uh, hope to work with her more in the future. And, uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to spoil anything. If I keep talking, I'm just going to spill the beans on stuff. And I don't want to do that. So this is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with Hannah Stonehouse Hudson. <laughs> oh, here we go, boys. that sound this is a good one I am here with Hannah Stonehouse Hudson Right? That's what it says yes. here. That's what I'm going with. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> I had to open it because I'm terrible with names. I'm oh, like, no, it's oh. fine. It's got the three-name thing going. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so nervous. There's too many. Uh, no. <laughs> so you have an amazing story. We're going to get Thank to that. Thank you. Um, but I just want to, 
like what thanks for doing this by the yeah, way thank you you know we communicated a while back and i'm right. trying to remember somebody um tipped me off to your story it's like yeah. you need to talk to and i'm like i'll talk to anybody right right and then they kind of gave me a you know the cliff notes i was like that is incredible i'm like yeah. absolutely I sent you an email and you answer me right back yeah i was like oh this is cool yeah um so but what brings you to the saint paul ice fishing show because you are from the other side of Wisconsin, pretty right, much. Right, right. <laughs> that, that we figured out, which right. is why we haven't done this <laughs> podcast already. Right. <laughs> um, so I currently live in Milwaukee, but I lived about seven and a half hours north for 15 years in Bayfield, Wisconsin, on the south shore of Lake Superior. And the St. Paul Ice Fishing Show, I always called the beginning of the social season. That's when I got to see all my friends. Oh, That's okay. the beginning of the ice fishing season. And I've only missed two St. Paul Ice Fishing Shows, I think, since 2007. Wow. Um, yeah. And one was, um, sorry, I missed three. One was uh, 2012, the um, 2012, then 2013 and 2014, I didn't go. But I, those are the only shows I didn't go to for some various reasons, sure. which we'll get into which, in a little bit. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, but other than that, this is, this is where my friends are. This is where the ice fishing community, these are my people. And it's, it's truly amazing because I did not grow up hunting or fishing. Nobody in my family fishes. Nobody hunts. Nothing. Wow. And it is my life. And I taught myself to fish in college because I saw people at UW-Madison fishing um, <laughs> in the bays there. And I was just fascinated by it because I was from the East Coast and some places in Illinois. I moved all the time. I was like, you don't sound like you're from the East Coast. No, no. I, I moved every two years growing up. I grew up in a radio family, which is why I love oh, podcasting. Yeah. Podcasting to me is amazing because it connects communities and people in a way that radio originally did. Right. Yeah. yeah before it got super commercial. Exactly. So for me, as a third generation broadcaster, podcasting to me is the is the thing that connects us. So I went to school for broadcast. Oh, where did like you go? Brown. Oh, oh my gosh. Not yeah. not like the Ivy League Brown. Wait, no. But like Brown Institute here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. broadcasting. Yeah. yeah. So I was a third generation broadcaster. Um, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my dad, and myself all in radio. Um, and that's what we did. Crazy. Yeah. So I was supposed to work in radio. I worked in Seattle for a radio station for a short period of time and didn't, didn't do it. Decided to come back to Madison. And... Um, Oddly enough, that's where the hilarious story begins. My introduction <laughs> yes. to ice fishing. Wow, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just talked. You know, I just mentioned this at, uh, with Nicole. I recorded before you um, that I have a background in broadcasting. I only worked in radio for like a couple of years. Yeah. Small market, you know, mm -hmm. making zero dollars, and, uh, and yeah, that's my exactly. daughter was born, and then <laughs> it's like it just, you know, that this my second job wasn't panning out, and uh, I, I talked to. Um, a radio station in War Road, Minnesota, actually. And, God, I want that job. But it would have been the perfect fit for me. Right. We just couldn't come up with enough. I mean, I, I literally had, and it wasn't like I was trying to drive a hard bargain, but it was like, this is what I need to survive. Right, right. Just to, to feed my literally family. Literally to, link. Mean, this is what an apartment is. This is what this is. And, yep. like, I'm only asking, you know, trying to get enough to live. Uh, right, right. And being a small market, they just couldn't come Correct. up to that number and it wasn't even that big honestly it was not a big number no but i get you know their bottom line is their bottom line too i mean right. so i mean i it's like it just didn't work so then i had to abandon the broadcast thing but it was always in the back of my mind um wanting right. to do it right. and uh, i brought this up on the podcast before like in my mind i almost invented the podcast like before podcast was a thing because i thought and it wasn't so much doing this interview style or conversation style it was more like um commercial production which i really enjoyed doing yeah i was like i don't you know when the internet was like brand new when i were mm -hmm. really in its infancy when i got into radio yeah so i i mean i learned how to edit reel to reel i mean we I had one of tape. the we had one yes. of the first yeah. <laughs> digital editors at yep. brown too yeah um but the programs were insanely expensive they were like ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars and so only the major market right. radio stations had them right and um but as they the price started to come down a little bit. I'm like, man, if I could just save up and get this program, I don't see any reason why I couldn't just do this yeah. at my house. And then I could offer to produce 
higher quality commercials for these smaller markets that can't afford to get the program. Exactly. And then, you know, I'll find a price point that works and, the, yeah. and I could just email them the content. Yep. And then, I mean, I could do this nationwide, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, man, I could, and then I could like do my own like uh, fishing report show, yeah. you know, and then I just, I never had the money to get the program. So it just right. never went anywhere. Right. And then that idea just fizzled in the smoke, you know, 25 five plus years later whatever right. it was here we are podcast world yeah and like this, this is was, community radio yeah. like this is truly what radio at the beginning was about yeah. spreading ideas connecting stories and making sure people had the information that they needed and that is that is what this is and that's yeah. why i love it i love it too yeah. i mean i really do I, and I'm, I'm glad i finally did it yeah and uh it's going well and uh, i plan on doing it for a long time that's Wonderful. Yeah, I love cool. that. Yeah. yeah. So cool. So did you ever work in broadcasting? I did. So what's funny is I, as a kid, I d helped with real to real stuff because my hands were tiny. That oh, sounds yeah. horrible. Right? But I knew how to do it. Like I yeah. do it at the little radio stations. And then I was always on um, commercials because, of course, the station manager's oh, sure. child. Yeah. When you need a child's right. voice. Or, yeah, yeah. Like Those are hard to come Hannah. by. Yeah, right. I was always like, hey, there are like, hey, we need a kid for this commercial. Go talk to so-and-so, Jamie, the salesperson. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly She has a nine-year-old. That's the right exact. That's the age we need. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Maybe I was always that, kid. or I was in the studio somewhere. The other thing was my dad used to drive around um, and, and listen to towers, like listen to different processors on radios, like radio signals, so I can hear the difference. Oh, and from, from processors, um, <laughs> which is hilarious. And then, uh, so in college at UW-Madison, we started uh, the WSUM, which is the student radio station there. And we had one of the first streaming radio stations. It was 2000, no, it was 97. Like it was the yeah, beginning. That's really beginning. Yeah, beginning of the sure. internet um, and streaming radio. And then I, after I graduated from college, I worked for KMTT in Seattle, Washington. But other than that, other than, you know, volunteering community radio stuff, I haven't done it since then. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I always do think, though, it's like, God, if only I had the money for that program, mm -hmm. like, where would I be now? You know, it's like I would right. have been doing this for 20 years. Right, exactly. Ah, damn it. <laughs> it so happens. close yet, so far. You had the idea. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Just, just didn't have the means. Right, exactly. Uh, but here I am, and I'm glad to be here yes so i'm gonna sit back and let you tell your story okay wow okay so <laughs> it is a interestingly uh long story but we talk about so i taught myself in college to i discovered ice fishing i taught myself to fly fish in college because i was fascinated by it and i used to always see in the winter at uw madison in wisconsin I'm originally an Illinois person. I don't admit that to everyone. <laughs> However, I have lived all over the world. And, but, you know, we were taught to stay away from the ice, <laughs> honestly, yeah, in the places. Yeah, well, in Illinois, it could be right, sketch. Right, exactly. So um, I was just fascinated by them. And they'd be these guys on their, obviously on their um, lunch hours in their business suits, fishing on buckets in, on Monona Bay. That's crazy. It business was, suits. Yes. In business, they'd have their camel hair coats sitting on the ice. And I was always fascinated. By it. I was like, this is cool. So I ended up taking a folklore of Wisconsin class my senior year and writing my, one of my senior thesis papers was on the folklore of ice fishing. I was just, I, for some reason, I was really connected to it. So I interviewed people on their stories on why they loved ice fishing and the culture behind it. Uh, because I literally knew nothing about the culture of Wisconsin and Minnesota too, ice fishing, hunting, that whole that whole culture. And to me, I, I felt very drawn to it. So uh, about two years after I graduated from UW-Madison, I was back living in Madison and I ended up going and living about six and a half, seven hours north of Madison in a little town called Bayfield, Wisconsin, on the south shore of Lake Superior in the Apostle Islands. Beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. And I was there for about two weeks, and I kept hearing, I met people in town. It's a very small town, really cool people, very friendly. I kept hearing about, I needed to meet Jimmy the cop. <laughs> Jimmy the cop, okay. And in my head, I felt very drawn to this, like, this is, I think, April of 2004. I need to meet Jimmy the cop. So for two weeks, 
maybe a week, I sped through town at a high rate of speed, <laughs> desperately trying to get pulled over. over by this guy who I did not know. I knew nothing about him other than he was one of three cops in town in a town of about 350, oh, God, 400 people. Funny. Yeah, so I wanted to get pulled over. So I never did. I never did. The night before I'm supposed to leave to go back to my parents, this guy walks up to me at the Bayfield Inn. I remember the song that was playing. It was Tom Petty. I don't remember what he was wearing. I remember what I was wearing. And he walked up to me, and, we, and I knew I was going to marry him at that moment, like literally at that moment. <laughs> so we get talking, and I, it might have been five seconds in. I was like, oh, yeah, I love to fly fish for a muskie because that's my thing. I love it. And he said, you like to fish? And his eyes just got freaking huge. <laughs> his eyes, I still remember him drinking his root beer and going, you like to fish? And um, I bought him a boat a month later. Wow. Like literally dropped everything, moved to Bayfield, moved in with him. Uh, <laughs> and um, I bought him a boat, a, not a cheap boat. And my mother called me because I asked her to drop off the paperwork at the insurance agent. And she was, she thought I like had lost my mind. It's a <laughs> brand new 2004 Smokercraft Melentia. I remember this. Like, and he sat there and cried because well, yeah. I bought him a boat. His dream, I just knew at that, for some reason, I just knew I was supposed to be with him. So our second date, this is when I really knew. Everybody so, right now has just paused this podcast, <laughs> and they just yelled for their wife to come into the room. Honey, you got to listen to this podcast. <laughs> you got to listen to this. <laughs> she bought him a boat. Well, like a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to, I have to remember to tell you what my now boyfriend has told me. Like, where's my boat? Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, so I told him, uh, so he, how do, I, how do I put this? So he had been raised uh, in Red Cliff, which is the reservation right north of Bayfield. Um, raised by his mom and his grandma and his grandpa. His grandpa taught him about Lake Superior, taught him every in and out, it taught him where the fish were, to respect the lake, to respect the elders, the, just the, the spirit of the lake. And he had wanted, he wanted to be a guide, but he did not have the financial backing mm -hmm. to do these things where he just didn't have that. And here comes along this crazy woman who on the <laughs> second date is in a boat with him for 10 hours in, it's probably 39, 40 degrees on Lake Superior, Oof, blowing 30 miles an hour, Oof. just casting. And I did not ask to go to the bathroom. I did not ask to do anything. I just sat there. And he truly thought it's because I was enjoying what I was doing. No, <laughs> I was so cold that I couldn't speak. So that is, those are some brutal conditions. Yes, on that lake. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's crazy. So we, so we ended up like the second date was on a Friday, I think, and <laughs> I mean, I'm, and I had basically dropped everything, moved in with him, and his mother. Uh, in Redcliffe, while we found some place to live and I tried to find a job. Like, the whole thing is just crazy. So, um, we, so that summer, he was talking about, I can't wait to take you ice fishing. I can't wait to take you ice fishing. I was so pumped because I had always wanted to go ice fishing. Like, I'm going to go ice fishing. So, we, it's December of 2004. And I had just become an insurance agent, and I was learning all about risk things and, like, what coverages cover what uh, trucks. fun. Yeah, I know. Super exciting. <laughs> I'm no longer an insurance agent. <laughs> uh, so we decide to go in Ashland. We decide to go. Uh, there's this spot, which is off this old ore dock, where that really good new ice forms. So we decide. It's, like, nighttime. It's, like, I'm going to teach you where the burbot are. Hilarious. Yeah, I forgot about that. It was burbot. And he's like, um, let, we'll go out this way. And we take the snowmobile, and we go out, and we borrowed it from a friend. And he looks over at the shack. He's like, that guy's here pretty early. That's pretty weird. There's not that much ice because a guy had put a permanent check, mm -hmm. and he had a truck next to it. So we go about half a, mile, half a mile past that shack, and we're jigging. We're catching fish, and I am having the time of my life. This is the first time I've ever been catching on the ice. Yeah. Just, it's so cool. I mean, I was terrified. 
absolutely terrified, but I loved it. <laughs> I, I equate it to being like in a situation you can't control, almost like being on an airplane. And if you're afraid, cause you have no control over what you're doing. Sure. Um, so I was absolutely terrified and we're jigging, we're having fun. And it's like, you know what? We should really pack up and go. There's probably six, seven inches. Uh, and there's definitely current there. I didn't know any better at the time. I knew nothing. And so we're packing up, and he pretends to have the snowmobile not start. He's like, ha, 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 we're stuck out here. He <laughs> pretends to have the snowmobile. And I'm like, ha, ha, very funny. And then he tries to turn the snowmobile on, and it doesn't oh, start. No. And so he, he's like, uh, can you go get the guy that's over there and do not let him drive? Do not let him drive over here. There's not enough ice. I said, okay. So I, I run uh, to this guy's shack, and it is the most northern exposure, grumpy, grumpier old man <laughs> moment ever. And the guy opens, slowly opens the door. Hey, little lady. And he's got this hat with, like, the flaps. Mm. He's got his long johns on. Of course on. he does. Right. There's, like, it's so hot in his shack. You feel the heat, like, billowing out. I'm like, my boyfriend. He's like, ah, that's cool. Just jump in my truck. I'm like, okay. Oh, so, no. Right. Like, I don't know. The one thing he told you. Right. The one thing he oh told God. me not to. So, he's like, hey. Fine. So, we get in the truck, and you see Jim. No. No. <laughs> no. He's, uh, he's, stop, stop, stop. And he was a police officer at the time. So, all of a sudden, you hear his police officer cop voice come out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, something's going on here. And I look, and the guy looks at me. He's like, oh, well, I lost one of these last winter. So, just if we go through, just open your door and jump out. It'll be fine. Oh, my so, God. Like, literally, this is my first time ice fishing. And I look out, and the ice is spider cracking <gasps> all oh, over Jesus. us. And I literally have no idea that this is a bad thing. Like, I am Ooh. so not knowing. And... The guy's like, oh, maybe I should stop. I think he's telling me to stop. And I jump out, and Jim looks at me. He goes, run. So he, I run because he is the ice is spider cracking around us. I run, and they hook up the snowmobile to this guy's truck, and he drives to the landing in Ashland. He's like, so how much ice was there? And Jim goes, it, it was eight or nine inches. And the guy goes, oh, man. And I had a full extra fuel tank on the back. That wasn't a good idea. Oh, my God. So that was my first time ice fishing. <laughs> so <laughs> we survived. are sweating right now. Right. So the rest of, oh the rest of us, and now me now no, having ice fished for 12, 12 13 years now, uh, it's so crazy. So 2004, 2005. Jim decides to start guiding. So I help him. He uses YouTube. This is the beginning of YouTube. Mm-hmm. He starts using YouTube to build his guide business. And I start using it at the time also to build my photography business. So we're both, I'm taking photos of him ice fishing and helping him with that marketing. And he's using Perfect. YouTube. Yeah, it was awesome. He was using YouTube at the time to build his guide service. And he was a cop also at the time. So, uh, we, he built his guide service. It's just going crazy. He has the first time he ever films, though, is in 2005 with John Gillespie. And Gillespie falls and shatters his clavicle. Oh my God. During the show. And, um, might have been 2004. No, it was, 2000, it was 2005. Shatters his clavicle. So the entire episode is them at the ER. Uh, it's the, it, it, at the ER. <laughs> Like with the camera guy oh and he's God. on drugs. So that was his first show he ever filmed. And he and Gillespie filmed for years. But they always laughed that that was their first show. So he builds his guide business. And in 2009, I quit being a photographer. Uh, I quit being an insurance agent full-time and um, became a photographer full-time. Did lots of uh, ice fishing photography, like for Vexlar, Clam, um, strike master all different so i was yeah so i didn't get to fish like i got to fish but i was always behind the scenes and running the guide service so i was doing the admin sort of stuff and talking to clients which was really funny because they always at that time assumed i didn't know what i was talking about which was fine with me because i could just say okay fine Um, so i built that and in 2010 jim decided he so he was getting about two hours of sleep a night because he would work as a police officer till like four or five in the morning and then sleep maybe for an hour and then guide. And that was not happening. Wow. 
So he needed to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Like, which do you do? Do you be a cop in your town where you're related to everyone? Or you do you live your dream and the thing that you wanted to do? Yes, that. Yeah. So he ended up quitting, retiring from the police force and became a guide full time. So he built this incredible guide business. I was so proud of him. He was on lots of uh, TV shows. He got to talk about his lake, the love of his lake. Got to talk about water quality. He got to talk about the fishery. He got to talk about respecting the resource. The things that his elders had taught him, he got to bring people out and teach them. And that was amazing. And he got to teach me too. Right. So I was learning. I got to be taught by this guy who I, I at the time had no idea. So if I am looking at a map of Lake Superior, I will point to places and be like, oh yeah, there's fish in that and this feed of water stuff. And um, the, people will look at me and be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> like it's like have this map <laughs> in yeah, my head. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's very crazy. So anyway, I digress. So he he had this very successful guide business. I had a crazy su successful photography business. And then in August, July and August of 2012, I took a photo of a guy holding his dog in Lake Superior that went crazy viral. I remember that picture. Yeah. So the Huffington Post called it the most viral photo of all time at the time. Mm -hmm. No longer. It was usurped by Michelle Obama, which is hilarious. <laughs> so as a, as a viral photo. Damn you, Michelle. I know. Damn you. Uh, so that, crazily, that happened. So my business took off. And at the same time, his guide business just went through the roof because he had started filming with a lot of major shows, one of which was The Next Bite, which had him doing all kinds of stuff. So that really affected his guide business. He was just all over the place. So we both had extreme success and extreme stress around this yeah. success because we, weren't, we were trying to run our own businesses. And for anyone who's self-employed and you're self-employed with your spouse, it can be very stressful because you got... You're not talking to each other. You got financial concerns. You got conversations about business decisions mm -hmm. if you're business partners. So that was complete chaos. Um, so he's building this. And then in so four months of me traveling all over the country taking photos of dogs, him trying to run his very successful guide business. And at the end of January in 2013, we went out to dinner January 25th, 2013, I got, had gotten back from a very long photo shoot up in the UP, and we decided to go out on a date uh, and when I got back, and we go to dinner, and we're going and looking, uh, and he's mapping out the places that he's going to go ice fish the next day with some clients, and uh, the guy next to us, our good friend Eric Fredenberg, goes, and he's like, hey, Jimmy, I better not see you in the back of my rig tomorrow, because he was a... the uh, Eric was an EMT when Jim was a cop and they would respond to calls together and they were giving each other a lot of crap mm -hmm. and, you know, just talking smack. And he just goes, ha ha ha, I'll be fine. So, uh, the morning of January 26, 2013, uh, about five 30 in the morning, Jim gives me a kiss goodbye. I remember him giving me a kiss goodbye and he, uh, went to go guide clients on Lake Superior with, uh, some good friends of ours, and who were helping him with his guide service. So he goes to guide these clients and I'm sitting at the computer working. It's like 10.30 in the morning and he's out and like, and I can actually see where they are. I can't see them, but I can see very far in the distance people wandering around. And my phone is ringing off the hook, absolutely ringing off the hook. And I'm just ignoring it because this photo that had gone viral was still, people were still constantly calling my phone and I didn't recognize this number and I was trying to get work done. And I'm just ignoring, ignoring. And I hear this bang, bang, bang on the front door. And I'm like, I, I go and I look and I open the door and it's my friend Aaron. And it's, um, he's the cop who'd replaced Jim on the police force when he retired. Uh, and he says, um, Jim went in. It doesn't look good. And I realized what he said was that Jim had gone in the water, like gone. And I just, the crazy thing was that I started apologizing to Aaron. Like I'm freaking out obviously because I'm 
like I know mm-hmm. this is bad and somebody's got to get me somewhere. But I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you have to tell me this. I'm so sorry. Because Jim would come home after there were two incidents where he had had to tell spouses that something had happened to their significant others. <sighs> I can only imagine. And he was destroyed. And so I, like, in my objective, all I could think about was, oh, my God, you have to tell me, your friend, that something had happened to her husband. And he said, it really doesn't look good. You have to get to the ER. So the guy, my best friend, Phil, who was the guy who introduced me to Jim when I knew I was going to marry him, he literally was like, this is Jimmy, came and picked me up and drove me to the ER in Ashland where um, I go to the ER and they have to bring him in and I walk in and they're working on him and it's all it's two of the people that he has responded to many many emergency calls with including ice rescues and they're working on him and trying to trying to revive him and I have to identify him because that's what the spouse has to do so um I remember being in the ER and they're doing this. And one of the crazy things about the Great Lakes is you have to, and you have to be flown to be pronounced to Duluth. I'm not, I can't remember why, and I won't get into it because it's been quite a bit. That's weird. Yeah. So they had to. They put him on the helicopter, and they were trying to revive him. And I kept. Rem- I remember. I kept saying, "Please stop! Please stop! He's gone." Be- and I was like, you, "I just. I couldn't deal with it." So they put him on the helicopter, and I wave bye. Like, and I sound very objective about this is because I speak about this all the time. Twice a month, I am doing seminar, like I'm doing talks about this. So please, anyone who's listening, don't think that I'm not like (laughs) emotional about this. It's just, that's my life now. So I digress. So we get to the ER. In, in Duluth, and they had called me and said, said they were sorry to inform me that um, they he was deceased. And, and I said, thank you. And I was like, the whole time I was overly polite to everyone who had to deal with it. <laughs> because I had, all I could think about was how it, it, first of all, all these first responders, the guys from Madeline Island who had to go in the wind sled to go get their friend mm. who were trying to call him to see who had gone in. These are his friends. Like, I have his phone records. They're trying to get a hold of him because they want his help. They want to know where stuff is. Well, the guy they're getting is him, their friend. So at the time, I I realized these are, like, when you're a first responder in a small town, in a small area, you're all, you're helping each other. You are responding to your your friend's accidents. You're responding to all of these things. Like it's very, from a psychological perspective, it's very tough because it's a small town yeah. and you're taking care of each other. Uh, so I get to the ER and the nurse walks up to me, this gentleman, and he is just he's bawling his eyes out. He's like, I'm so sorry. I tried. I tried to save him. I tried to save. Him. I watched his TV shows all the time. I watched all his safety seminars. I can't believe if this happened to him. If it's going to happen to anyone, I can't believe it happened to him. Well, the reason he Jim taught safety seminars, ice fishing safety seminars, all over the place. He was one of the safest individuals that there was, and that's why. So I'm there and I'm waiting. And at the time, I didn't realize it. But what has really helped me over the past six years is I've never questioned why. Because the whole thing was a freak accident. That ice fishing didn't kill him. He was in a place the day before. He died in a way that he talks about other people passing away right you go to a spot there was ice the day before there's a little bit of snow cover in a place where there's current and you go drive there and you hit current and you go in so out of all of this i have learned many many things and i work very hard to teach other guides 
first responders all of, and other people, what are these things? First of all, he hadn't gotten sleep in weeks because he was running a guide service with no help other than some guides helping him like on the side and me occasionally helping him. But when you're an ice fishing guide, I don't, guiding in general is exhausting. I don't think people realize how exhausting specifically ice fishing guiding is because you are hauling so much gear. Mm-hmm. So he was exhausted, hadn't had enough sleep. And so he made some, some things happen where he didn't have his nebulous on his sled because he made a mistake there. Not that that could have helped or not, who knows. But so he went to a place where he thought it would be safe because it was the day before. That's an accident. But he also didn't follow the certain things where he would have told other people to because as a first responder and a guide, you get used to doing things a certain way. And you think nothing's going to happen to you. I'm not, this is not me blaming him. Right. But these are, yeah. An explanation of events. Right. And I think this happens to a lot of guides and a lot of first responders who are, because you're so used to taking care of other people or just doing the thing that you do, or you're tired. So you don't follow the safety precautions. So I am an (laughs) evangelical person about follow, have your safety steps. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Ask people for help. If you are a guide, understand that taking care of yourself is really important. It's really, really important because you will make mistakes that will, will harm you. So that's, a, that's one big thing I talk about. So in all of this, so he passes away and I am absolutely taken care of by the ice fishing. The fishing community, especially the ice fishing community, they were amazing. And I... I went on the ice for the first time like a month after he passed away. And it wasn't to ice fish. I wasn't ice fishing yet. I ran on the ice road, which is the road from Bayfield to Madeline Island that the kids get to school on. And everybody drives back and forth. It's an extension of the county highway. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. So I ran um, from Bayfield to Madeline Island on this ice road. And... What was really cool was, so I could see where he died, where he passed away, and his friends went to go get him um, from the ice road. So I ran with him, like literally the whole way, like talking to him. And other people who have gone through loss understand what I'm talking about. Other people are like, you did what? But so I talked to him the whole way, and then I got to see a bunch of his friends on the island when I went across. So, um, but I didn't ice fish until uh, that next year, because it was him. Like he taught me to ice fish and that's what we did together. But that also, people didn't know I ice fished. They just saw me as the photographer. Right. And I thought, felt like it was his thing to do. Like that's his thing. So I thought, well, maybe I won't. Until Barb Carey, who decided to start the Women Ice Angler Project. And she said, you should come with us. And Barb and Jim were good friends. What was really funny was I was Barb's insurance agent when I was an insurance agent before Jim introduced us to write her guide policy because I was writing all these guide policies for people. So that's kind of how we were connected other than Jim. She said, you should just, you should come fishing with us. We're going to Lake of the Woods. And I'd always wanted to go to Lake of the Woods and Jim and I had talked about it. So uh, that year I decided to go ice fishing for the first time. So we go to Lake of the Woods to film this Women on Ice, the Women Ice Angler Project. And we get in the um, the little, what are they called? They're the little mobiles that get you to everywhere, anywhere. On, the snow bears? Yes, the snow bears. Oh, my gosh. And we're in there, and I am bawling my eyes out. Like, I am just crying. And they think it's because I miss Jim. They're like, are you, or am I afraid? Mm -hmm. Like, are you afraid? I'm like, no, no, no. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, I want, like, I can do this. Like, I was so proud of myself for getting out there and doing it. I mean, obviously, I missed him at the time, and I Mm wish he was there. But I also, more of it was from that. So I was really intimidated by this group of women because I felt like they knew more than I did with fishing. And, like, I didn't do anything because when you're a guide's wife, you don't touch anything. You are not allowed. <laughs> it is not because you don't know what you're doing, but there's a certain way of doing yeah, things. Right. There's a certain they way of doing They have a system. Right. They have a system. And if you mess it up, then you have messed up everything. So I, um, I wouldn't touch anything. And they're like, are, 
do you not know all of a sudden do you not know what you're doing I'm like no I know what I'm doing but it's like okay this is ridiculous just go do your thing <laughs> so I start fishing and I start catching a bunch of crappies and I'm like I'm ever like I know what I'm doing I'm like I'm jigging presentations and I've got them above their head and all these things and I'm catching one after another and I start crying again <laughs> like it was it was definitely a hilariously emotional trip where most men would go, their eyes would get really big and they would back away slowly. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a woman crying. Right, there's a woman I crying. Got but a thing it's, to do yeah, over here. Don't look at your in the eyes. <laughs> but, but there's fish, so I don't know what to do. But it was because I knew what I was doing. I suddenly realized not only was I doing, I was actually out on the ice again, but I knew what I was doing. Like I know how to fish. I know what I'm doing. I know how to catch them. I know what presentations. Like all of a sudden, all this stuff that Jim had downloaded into my head fish presentation baits uh, all the stuff I was using and that was like the light bulb went off and I was unstoppable after that like that is my life if I could be on the ice 24 7 year round I would be because I just love it more than anything and I love teaching people about it I love people being outside in the elements but also being comfortable but understanding nature being able to understand where your food comes from like there's all these different elements to it so even he gave me this amazing knowledge so now I get to move forward and help other people whether it's ice fishing or whether it's creating like everyone has a story to tell lots of people who've gone through trauma or loss they have a story to tell that other people will connect with. Some people connect with me with ice fishing, with first responders, with running a guide service. Other people have other stories where other people connect with them. And so I've, I've discovered that through telling these stories and taking ice, people ice fishing, I figured out how to help other people tell their stories too. So it's been fascinating. Because we all have these people in our lives that come along. They are there for a short period of time. They teach you so much. So what do you do with that knowledge? You can't waste the knowledge. You can't waste the life experience that's been given to you. There's a reason. You can't ever know why someone was taken from you. That's the wrong question. Right, yeah. What are you supposed to do with the knowledge you've been given? Yeah, How now do you, what? Yeah, how do you respect that person? How do you live, honor them and the knowledge that they were given by their elders? Like, respect that. Okay, I've been given that. How can I help the world? How can I help just an individual on the street? So that is my purpose in life. Right. And so what do you what do you do now? Do you, you do seminars? Yes. And that's kind yeah. of, that, that's the profession? Yeah. So I am, I retired, I retired in quotes from photography a few years ago. And now what I do is I uh, do uh, seminars on moving forward from loss and I do coaching. I teach people how to take the story that they have and either if they want to make it a business from the technical aspect, like getting it out there, blogs, websites, social media, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I figure out how to help them get it out there. And then I teach, oddly enough, because of going viral, I teach law enforcement, um, victims, advocates, all the different groups, utility companies, how to help their people in a crisis, in a tragedy, deal with social media. Or if they've had a tragedy or a crisis or a death. Oh, like having to deal with like what they might see, like, Right, online. After, yeah, 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 online. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, or if something bad happens and a company needs help managing the, the social media at PR aspect of it to help their people grieve. Because social media, and that's a way longer conversation. Yeah, but, for sure. But social media has completely changed how we get information and therefore how we grieve. So there's... True. Yeah, the, that's true. Yeah. So there's ways that companies can help their employees deal with things that help their employees be more successful. So wow, that's, that's what a I do. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> career. Yeah. So yeah, it just sort of like went in, and so I started this life uh, is short movement, lifeishortmovement.com, which is that is where I keep all my seminars and where I I do a lot of like the clothing for life is short movement and about people's stories just 
if everybody's got a story, everybody has a pivotal moment, what do you do with it? Yeah. So. That's, like, super interesting. Have you uh, uh, writing a book or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, so I'm working on writing a book. Uh, it took me, yeah. So it took me a while to figure out how to do it because I don't want it to be all about me. I mean, like, I have a cool, fun story. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so how? what do I do with it that helps other people? And it's... <laughs> One is called The Sarcastic Widow's Guide to Grieving. That was like... <laughs> I love that yeah. title, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's so th great. I'm pretty sure that's the title. Uh, and because I have lots of really hilarious stories of being a widow in the Northwoods and my sarcasm, including, like, I was always the only woman, and I had managed to... Uh, I married Jim, and he had all his guy friends who are all my guy friends and after he died they didn't know what to do they had no idea how to help me there's this woman here what do we do with her <laughs> oh my god so they did wonderful things like bring me dead things like yeah well here, you know it's yeah here. fish a deer leg they would like come in and plow for me i mean they would do i just had really crazy really cool stuff happen that happens in a small community yeah so it's I, I was very well taken care of, and I'm really hoping, like, eventually just gets made into a crazy movie. That'd be super yeah. cool. Like, I really like want Charlie's to, Throne. Yes, something. like something <laughs> crazy where a woman from the city marries a guy who's a tribal police officer and a fishing guide. And it's such, you know, when you yeah. first started telling the story, my mind, like, instantly went there. I'm like, how is this not a movie already? Right, right. <laughs> like, come on, universe. Let's yeah, do let's this. Yeah, let's go. Let's yeah, because I've always, always, always felt that life was short. And you should, just, like, obviously from my just dropping everything and moving in with Jim to, like, like you just go do fun stuff. Yeah, for because, sure. I mean, like, I, yeah. I know how to ice fish. I was in uh, drama in high school. I'll play Jim. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you got to lose about, f you know, uh, five inches <laughs> of height. You're a little too tall. Yeah, you're a little too tight. <laughs> For our wedding, we registered for a footstool. Oh, my gosh. Because we were both, we were, I'm about 5'1", and I, he was 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, oh, my God. Yeah. He's little. Yeah, we were very short in a house for tall people, and so we registered for Okay, maybe not. You're going to have to get Tom Cruise or somebody. Fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine. Right, I know. Yeah, I'll play a, does he have any tall funny. friends or something? I could be like an yes. ER guy or yeah. something. Yes. One of the first responders. Well, my I could drive the, I could fly the helicopter maybe. I could Actually, the helicopter that would pilot. be cool. That'd be fine. I like it. That would be perfect. My boyfriend, Chris, is 6'5". He's 6'5". He's very tall. And he makes fun of me because I can't reach anything. Yeah, he's got me by an inch. Yeah, he's oh, he's so funny. Yeah, and he wants to know where his boat is. <laughs> he <laughs> yes, and, exactly. Yeah, he yeah. and Jim were very well, good when friends. He, when the movie thing goes down, right, you know, right. Take, like, he's like, "What is this going to be a movie?" He's like, "You need to have this a movie." That's been what's been really cool. So, dating when you're a widow is terrifying. Oh God, I can only. Imagine. It's terrifying. So add. Jim had a, t I come, I call him my blue army because all of his clam buddies, like all, uh, like an entire town, all his relatives in Redcliffe, law enforcement. I, like I, I come with this group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so when I was date, it was just, I, I'm sure terrifying for these yeah, poor gentlemen. I think meeting a family for the first time is right, tough. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, you got to meet all of them. So, um, Thank God, Chris is wonderful, and he uh, he hunts, he fishes, and when I arrived with Jim's 13 shotguns in a uh, in a uh, Yakima rack, like I had bought to to bring the taxidermy and the shotguns, mm -hmm. and I opened it, he's like, "You are like the meme. You're the widow meme," and he's like, "Thanks, Jim," and he's like, "I'll take good <laughs> care of this." So he like he he. Um, sets up Jim's rods and reels for me so I can fish with them. Oh, like great. we have one of Jim's uh, tackle boxes on the boat. So it's celebrating this person who introduced us and, and just having lots of fun. So it's cool. It's clearly an ugly Christmas sweater uh, oh. party going on in the, the bar. <laughs> and, a, and a Badger Yeah, and, uh, a, and a Wisconsin game. Badgers versus Ohio State. This so is hilarious. Although we're, I think they're picking up some background noise here, but I don't think it's been too bad. <laughs> If it is, whatever. So, <laughs> where when is your first ice fishing this year? What's your what's your plan? Uh, so hilariously, I am doing a dream trip for me. I am so I'm here at the St. Paul Ice Fishing Show. Then on Monday, I get in a vehicle with Pat Gelmerton and uh, Trevor uh, Tyler from 
uh, Wolfpack Adventures, and we go to Devil's Lake, North Dakota, and we're fishing for three days there, and we're doing the on-foot. My favorite thing for ice fishing is not having a lot of equipment. I just run gun. I've got an auger, Vexlar, and my What tackle. else do you need? And you don't need anything else. Got your ice suit. It's fine. So we're going to go and do a lot of um, very approachable ice fishing there. Uh, for three days, and then I am going to the Fargo Ice Fishing Show where I'm running the women's That's panel. next weekend? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I'm half tempted to run out there. It's a cool show. So I'm really excited to fish my way to the Fargo Ice Show. And, ah, and Chris laughed. He's, he was gone for two weeks. Uh, hunting. Well, Detroit Lakes has some really good lakes. Well, that's one of the places we're looking at moving. So we're, Chris's 20 years in the Coast Guard will be done next year. And our various places we're looking, like we want to be near hunting and fishing. Well, it's either that's Western. Detroit Lakes. Yeah, Western Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Ottertail County. Yes, yeah. Ottertail County or Devil's Lake. Like it's going to be somewhere in there because there's an airport I can fly out of. Yep. And there's hunting and fishing. Right. And that's really all we need. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Somebody would just shoot stuff off the back porch. Heck yes. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right, exactly. That's so, awesome. Yeah. What so do you like to hunt? I do not. I Well, I was a bird pho photographer for a long time, so I got into pheasant and grouse. Okay. Um, so that would be what I would love to do. Chris will hunt anything that he can make a tasty treat out of. Well, that's everything. Yeah. I, I'm all about the, the wild foods. Yeah. I've gotten... Pretty He's good, if I may pat myself on the back really? for, That's for awesome. cooking. Uh, yeah, well game, preparing yeah. well game, and I love it. I mean, I honestly, I just, I, I don't crave like a beef steak anymore. Like mm -hmm. never. Like I never go like, man, I could really go for a steak. If, right. I th if I say, I might say that, but I mean a venison steak. Right. Like, well, that's, it went that's cooked what I mean. properly. Oh my god. Oh, it's unbelievable. Delicious. And, I, and and it's like a lot of people think it's a lot of work. You know, but I, I really like the long cooking, mm -hmm. like braised the shanks. The process. It's a creative where process. it takes hours mm -hmm. to cook, but yeah. it is so rewarding. Yeah. Not only because it tastes amazing. Right. But because I did it. Right. And that. that right. You know, the DIY aspect of it. And listen, yeah. I was eating out of a box. Out of bags, out of cans, like pre-made everything. I was the quintessential bachelor, like right. eating garbage. Right. And went somehow I've gone from that to right. making legit meals. I bake bread. That like that <laughs> is Chris. He discovered cooking with wild game, and he is like telling are, you. Yeah, we're not supposed to be in Milwaukee. Like this is purgatory for us right Oof, now. I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, However, the grounds are huge. Yes, and I need yes. to do that. Yes. I've, I, I've said this is the only, that, that is on the thing that I say every year, and every year I don't do it. So yes. that one, going to Milwaukee for huge browns, and then lake trout anywhere, I don't care. Right. But I want to catch So lake we trout. are five minutes from the, the browns ground. Uh, we have extra bedrooms. We have the fishing B&B. &B, so you are officially invited. Like, you don't so have an excuse. Doing it. <laughs> Just come on down. We will cook you the wild game. B &B. Yeah, with like literally, we bought this. Well, house. I want to help cook the wild game. Oh, okay, perfect. You'll Especially if there's something you guys haven't had or a uh, technique, maybe you guys haven't. That would be awesome. Done. We yeah. could. Yeah. Do that. Yes. Like. We could do a yeah. podcast about. One hundred percent. I'm in. Yeah. Let's put this on the books. Oh God, I that sounds awesome. This. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, literally five minutes from where the. Brown Town. Brown Town. <laughs> we go to Brown Town yeah. and then we go to Flavor Town. Right, exactly. Well, and what's <laughs> funny is in February, a lot of the time you can ice fish for browns and then go fish for lake trout in open water. Oh, yeah. So there, you'll have a whole day where you are open water and then ice fishing. Yeah, so February gets tricky because yeah. I travel. Well, and yeah. I'm in the Minnesota Made Tournament League series, uh, so that's every other well, March weekend. Too. Yeah, we'll have to figure out. Yeah. It's going to be tricky. Yeah. Be we'll get you Is January any good? Yeah. Oh, January can be really good. So I could go in between events yeah. of yeah. Minnesota Made Tournaments. Yeah. So either the last weekend of January or the second weekend of January. Okay. We'll have to look. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're going to Red have Lake. Have your at people some point. get a hold of my yeah, people? Yeah, I'll have my social <laughs> secretary, also known as my Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I re I'm sorry. I really want to do that. That's been something yeah. I've been wanting to do for a long, 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 long time. Yeah, it's cool. And it's really cool. That would be fun. Hey, throw the food aspect in. I'm mm -hmm. in. Yeah. I am in. We're That's, into that. I'm such a foodie. It's ridiculous. That's awesome. Uh, I love it. People are probably tired of me talking about it too, but I it just. Well, it's delicious. Yeah, so. it is. So, so this is a bucket list trip for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just because it's fun. I love yeah, Devil's Lake. That's cool. And it's just the adventure aspect. Have you ever been up to the Turtle Mountains of North Dakota? Uh-uh. I hear rumor that yes. there's some really good fish up there. Really? If you're like panfish, like yeah. giant bluegills up really? there. Really? Giants. Hmm, yeah. Twist my arm. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I haven't been there either. and I, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a drive, but. Yeah. It's an adventure, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, same, you go all Idaho for a big perch. I want to go, yes. I want to go Fort Peck, Fort Montana. Peck, yep, yep. Um, there's all these, yeah. You make the tour. I know guys that make the tour. They'll go, like, they'll do the, you know, Devil's Lake, mm -hmm. um, either whatever order, you know, you make the loop. Yeah. So whether you start in Idaho, Idaho yeah. Fort Peck, Devil's yeah. Lake, you know, back home, or you just kind of make a loop. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that would be... That's on the list. For big, big yeah. lake trout, big pike, and Fort Peck. Mm -hmm. And those perch in our oh, yeah. cascade are ridiculous. 16-inch yeah. perch? Get out of here. I cannot wait for Chris to be retired from the Coast Guard so we can go on our <laughs> adventure. I've been plotting. I keep telling him I'm plotting him an ice fishing road trip. That's it's funny. Like, that's hilarious. What's but your, you have a bucket list fish? Like I really want to go up to the none of it territories. Like that for me is an absolute bucket fit. Bucket list. You are a cold weather person. I, I have it has to be cold. I am miserable in anything above sixty five. I want to be somewhere where it's just cold all the time. <laughs> like I am. Well, you way live in the right place. Right, exactly. Although I'm not a big fan of heat either. I, yeah, like, no. I, I love the upper Midwest and the changing of the seasons. Mm -hmm. um, Man, we get that week or whatever in the summer where it's Ugh. 98 and humid. I just want to, I can't. I don't know how people live like that. Mm -mm. No, I can't do that. I just, no. I don't, I just, that no. is not for me. It was, I couldn't. So what in Nunavut? What, none, what's, of none of it. I'm, I always say oh. Nunavut, but I probably say it the wrong way. Well, there's a woman there. Well, she's a tribal guide. There's a, she's one of the, she might be the only woman tribal guide up there. And she's a hunting and fishing guide. And I think you may have seen a story There's a story on her, on her and yeah. I want to go fishing with her. I want to go. I want. She has the knowledge. Like, her elders taught her in the same way Jim's elders taught him. And I want to go talk to her. I want to go fishing with her. So what are they fishing for up there? I think it's lake trout. Okay. That sounds horrible that I don't know because I've gotten so fixated on the story about her. I also want to go up to, like, um, uh, oh God. the Northwest Territories. There's a bunch of different spots. Just fly, get on a plane, and let a little, I tell my significant other he needs to go get his pilot's license because we have lots of places <laughs> that I want to go fishing. <laughs> so Your priorities are in the right place. I know. I got places to be. You. Man, we're just making all sorts of dudes jealous tonight. They're I know. Just, Women, their wives and girlfriends are in the hot seat. I am telling you about that boat. <laughs> yep, boat <sighs> ice fishing trip. How come you don't like the fish? How right. come you? How come you won't go ice fishing? I can just hear it. Well, I I truly believe I love it so much because I don't care about the cold. Because as a kid, my dad flew kites. That was his thing. And it, the best kite flying weather is 40 degrees and blowing 80 miles an hour, I swear. And it would be cold, and he'd be like, stop whining. So we just learned to just be outside and dress for Talk. the cold. Yeah. Just, you're out there, man. Yeah. You, and you do acclimate to it. I mean, yeah. I know you got people from the south, and they, they hear us talking, they're just like, you're crazy. Even right. driving, you talk about driving on the ice, and they lose their mind. They minds. lose it. Um, but it's, you really do get acclimated. I mean, even people here, I mean, my buddy was just saying the other day, he's like, you never wear a stocking cap. Yeah. No, I have a hoodie for a reason. Right. I, mean, I don't wear below, gloves. 20 below zero outside, and I yeah. just got the hood up. Right. I mean, yeah, I got full bibs and a jacket on, right. but I don't have a stocking cap on. Right. And it's like, well, as a construction worker, you know, I can't really wear a you, stocking cap. I have the hood, and then the hard hat goes over the hood, and mm -hmm. it's like, 
as long as I your neck is covered, yeah. it doesn't matter. For me, it's as long as my neck is covered, I'm warm. And the only time, like, my ears will get cold is if, for whatever reason, if I have the direction that I have to go is into the wind mm-hmm. and I have a hoodie, right. well, then, yeah, it's coming right in right. and my ears get cold. So then you just do the old, like, <laughs> sound bad, like the homeless move. Like, you just... <laughs> Right. It you just tuck it close around. You take the one hand, you pinch it off like a tie, right up underneath right. your chin, and then and you're warm. Put your head down and yeah. look up once in a while. Make sure you're on the right track. <laughs> right. I guess you're and, not warm. You're you just go. more prepared. You're yeah. dealing. Right. You're dealing. That is a way better way of putting it. <laughs> you're dealing. You're tolerating. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, I'm a cold. Then am I looking forward to a hot shower? Absolutely. Yes. Um, but that's yeah. all part of it. Or yeah. like a hot tub would be hot. Being in a hot tub, yeah. I try to explain this to people that, that don't that like live in hot states. Like, yeah. you don't understand. Being in a hot tub when it's twenty below zero outside is amazing. Is amazing. Yes. And like, if and if you can throw some snow into the mix, yeah. even better. Yeah. Yeah. We will have at our house a hot tub. It'll be negative twenty. There will probably be a shotgun over to the side just in case. Just while well, you're in none of it. There's polar bears. Up right. There. It, you never know. <laughs> I got to be prepared. Um. I have a uh, one of my. Uh, I have a snow goose band. Oh. The, the, it was banded in none of it. Really? Yeah, and I have another one that was uh, Churchill, Manitoba. Oh, cool. Yeah. I oh, love the band a- stories. They're cool. Oh like yeah. This, well, to see where they in the came snow from. Geese, where they just they fly so incredibly far. It's yeah. Just ridiculous. And there's millions of them. Oh god. Yeah. So many. That's crazy. But yeah, that's where February gets busy for me because I'll be down in uh, Arkansas guiding for that. So, really? Can yeah. you? Can I hook uh, Chris up with you? Can I buy him a trip? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's what I'm doing. Right. Well, it's a good network. Well. Oh my know, God! You have no we're idea. We're trading a brown trout trip for a snow goose trip. Ah uh, yes. I'm in. Okay. Let's do it. Twist my so, arm. So Arkansas, and then we just follow the migration up. So we do Arkansas, Missouri, yeah. South Dakota. Yeah. So yes. as the spring progresses. So whatever time is convenient for you, just get a hold of me. We'll no, put seriously, you we'll I'm out. going to. I sent so him on trips. That's perfect. <laughs> if he likes, if, if he's a bird hunter, he'll love yes. it. Yes, I mean, huge. If, if, and I say this to the people that are waterfall hunters. I mean, the waterfall hunters are a different psychotic breed anyways. Yes. But people that, like, if you haven't done the snow goose migration thing, even for you, like, as a photographer, mm-hmm. The spring migration is like nothing you have ever seen. Really? It's not like the fall. And, you okay. know, even the fall, you can see some pretty good bird numbers, especially yeah. when you're dealing with, like, snow geese um, or, you know, large flocks of, like, uh, yeah. greater white front or specks or cacklers. They have some pretty, you know, flocks in the hundreds. You right. know, pretty good-sized flocks, even into the thousands. Right. But it's like a, more of a trickle migration. They okay. kind of leave as it's convenient or as they freeze out or right. as food, you know, they move feed sources. In the spring... It's a mad dash to get to the breeding grounds as fast as possible because the window is so short. Okay. Summer is very short in right. the Arctic. So they need to get there, yeah. get those eggs laid, yeah. get them incubated, raised to the point where they can where they can fly. Yeah. And they only have like three months to get all this accomplished. Okay. Yeah. Right? So there's this mad dash, and okay. they basically follow the snow line. So what, what you get is this bird numbers that you almost can't wrap your head around. Yeah. When you're talking about you go out and scout and you're scouting 30,000 geese, 50,000 geese. The roost is holding a million birds. Whoa. Literally, a refuge a refuge can have a million snow geese on it. I I saw photos from when they went last. They went to Nebraska last year. Didn't have any luck because of some weather issues with fog and an ice storm. But the photos even from far away it just was white. It wasn't snow. It was just yep. millions yeah. of snow And when geese. they get up, when they get up, you can hear them. And, it's, yeah. and you actually hear, like, their wing beats from a mile away. Wow. It's just a roar. You'll just, you'll like, if you're watching a lake and you can see them, they're, like I said, it looks like snow, but it's not. Yeah. It's all geese. And I'll, they just get up. They get up, they fly around, they put right back down. It's just what snow geese do. Yeah. But you'll just hear this roar, this low. Wow. It's like, well, are you kidding me? <laughs> but... So all the ducks are flying through too, yeah. and all their prime all the breeding timing. plumage. Yeah, the same time oh. by the hundred pintails, mallards, yeah. camasbacks, redheads, whatever. If you yeah. can think of the duck, it's out there. Yeah. And so as a photographer, I would lose it. Yeah. 
charge the batteries. Yeah. Get the good telephotos. You're going to be snapping pictures like crazy. Twist my arm. Even though I've, in quotes, retired from photography, well, but you're it's never, it's, it's, you never really do. No, you for just, sure not. And the stuff, like. And it's for fun. Yeah, like, this it's is, like, fun. You're not doing it for work. You're like. Go out and capture images that you want to capture. Right, that I would never otherwise see. muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, you would love mm -hmm. it. You would love it. Twist my arm. All right, set it up. Let's do okay. it. Hannah, We're this was great. Thank you so much thank for doing you. it. Thank you. We cracked, officially cracked the one-hour mark. Wow. Good job, team. Very good. Go, team. <laughs> go, team, go. I'm catching a brown trout. Nice. This I awesome. can't wait. I'm well, thank stoked. you. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to um they can go to lifeissortmovement.com lifeissortmovement.com or they can look on instagram facebook uh, linkedin if they're on linkedin uh but it's just hannah stonehouse hudson and i'm the one and only hannah stonehouse the one hudson. and only yeah and uh that's great it's really great what you've done with the tragedy and, and turned around and really Thank made you. it a positive thing and um what yeah. a amazing way to honor Thank you. Honor your husband. That, yeah. That's awesome. It's very admirable, and uh, I'm very honored that you shared your story with me. Thank I really, really, really Thank appreciate it. Thank you for inviting it. me. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to find brown trout for you. Well, we'll do it again, and we'll have even more stuff to talk about. Awesome. That's uh, even happier yet. Yay. All right, cool. Well, good luck out in your trip to the Dakotas. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.